Motion with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi and welcome to the Robohub podcast. Today we learn about an open source motion planning ROS package called MoveIt, which is intended as an easy to use robotics manipulation platform for developing applications, evaluating designs and building integrated products. MoveIt is the most widely used open source software for robotic manipulation and the third most popular ROS package. Our interviewer Audro caught up with Dave Coleman, CEO of Picnic Robotics, the company currently behind MoveIt, to find out more about this platform and its success story from inception in the early days to development and maintenance, as well as the move to ROS2. He also covers how those interested can begin contributing. But first, we wanted to share a quick bit of news from the RoboHub team. We are really excited to announce that Abata Demeyi will be taking over as podcast director from Audro Nash, who expertly led the team over the past few years. Audro is now stepping down to focus more on his day job, but we're really glad to say that he will continue with us as an interviewer. For our regular listeners, Abate should already be a familiar name as he's been supporting us over the past several years with interviewing and publishing episodes, as well as high-level decision-making about the podcast's direction. And so we would really like to take this opportunity to thank Audro for his years of leadership and allowing the podcast to grow as it did. And we now look forward to finding out what we can achieve with Abate in the coming years. We hope you'll join us for that. Now back to today's episode. Hi, welcome to RoboHub's podcast. Greetings, great to be here. Thank you. Would you introduce yourself? This is Dave Coleman, uh, CEO of Picnic Robotics, calling from Boulder, Colorado. Would you tell me a bit about MoveIt? MoveIt is a framework for motion planning and manipulation that originally came out of the Willow Garage Ross ecosystem. It's a very popular framework used across the world for all sorts of R&D projects and uh, even uh, deployed in factories. Mm -hmm. And how does Picnic relate to MoveIt, Uh, your company? Yeah, we we formed Picnic to kind of steward MoveIt to the next level and and really provide leadership and lots of new code, of course, to the MoveIt project. So we are the ones officially in charge of of MoveIt these days. Mm-hmm. And what what is the business model of Picnic? How does it raise funds and these kinds of things? Yeah, uh, well, just historically, it was my pet project in grad school, finishing my PhD, uh, based my research on it, and I just started getting requests for consulting, and so started to visit companies and, and help them use MoveIt to solve problems. So, big startups have used it, bigger companies. Um, and so from there, brought on a team to help really uh, do more and more for the MoveIt project. Mm-hmm. And so that's our, our primary focus. It's just integration and consulting, uh, R&D. But we've also done some grant work that we're really proud of to just pure open source improvements. Uh, and just recently, we've started to release some commercial premium features around MoveIt. It's kind of a, mm. the, the new uh, open core type approach that's all the buzz these days. Gotcha. Very cool. Uh, so would you tell me a bit about how movement, move it started? Yeah. Uh, move it started 
originally as Arm Navigation at Willow Garage, which was basically a application of a motion planning library. So uh, the Open Motion Planning Library is a project out of uh, Rice University, the Kravaki Lab, and the guys at Willow wanted to apply that to the PR2. And the Arm Navigation, they hit some roadblocks in its architecture, and they kind of rewrote it from the ground up and called it Move It. And Move It actually was designed to do more than just arms. It can control mobile the, the, the bases, drive around. It's been used for uh, humanoids, even mm-hmm. things like drones and underwater submarines. So really, it's uh, very versatile. You could technically replace a navigation stack. It's just that those features have never been fully built out. And so um, today, you know, we really focus on making sure that the manipulation capabilities are the best, but we'd love to see those other things built out further. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, so it started with Willow Garage. Where did it go from there and how did you get involved? Uh, well, after Willow sadly closed, uh, it was under the stewardship of SRI for a year or so. And then uh, I was kind of one of the remainders who were actually working on it. And so the community urged me to uh, kind of take some leadership of it. And so I just started monthly maintainer meetings and grew a, a maintainer team. So we have contributors from all over the world. Uh, particularly, we have some great maintainers from Germany, um, and so that's it's been you know kind of growing from there. And I was the lead maintainer, and so kind of built picnic around that that position. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, can you tell me a bit about Move It? How it's structured? What it's uh, I don't know. How does someone use it? It, it ties into Ross. Sure, uh, Move It is largely a plug-in framework. So as I mentioned, it uses a external motion planning libraries. OMPL is the main one, but it's been used to uh, on other ones like Chomp, Stomp, SBPL, Tragopt, mm-hmm. um, a, a great many number of different like research groups approaches in motion planning. And within OMPL, there's another 20 or 30 algorithms that it can leverage. But beyond that, we use different collision checkers, the primary being uh, the fast collision checking library, We've also recently added support for Bullet. It uses uh, all sorts of different inverse kinematics solvers, mm-hmm. uh, which you know will give you the arm joint positions based on the Cartesian position of the, the desired arm of the hand. Uh, so really just matching different pieces together, and that makes it really versatile for different research groups and companies to use because you can, out of the box, get a whole system set up. But let's say that you want to focus your research or focus your product as a company on a particular specialty, you can pull out one of the plugins and drop in your own custom one, which may or may not be open source. Um, ideally, you open source it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so really, it's a lot, a lot of what Move It does is orchestrate all these components in a ROS environment. Um, but also, some of the components can be used without ROS, uh, kind of your, your choice. Mm-hmm. And what does it look like as a code base? I guess. So how, how do you... How is it structured? How do you work with it? You work with sure. it through Ross. Yeah, but. so we're we're there's a lot of um, related projects through the Ross ecosystem. Uh, something like there's a Gazebo, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. There's Open OpenCV and PCL and a number of projects that've chosen to be very uh, separate from Ross, but still have integrations to Ross. Move it's in this. Uh, strange hybrid where we actually still use a lot of ROS and uh, 
we we're fairly tightly integrated in that ecosystem, and yet at the same time we're separate, which is a, an odd place. But we we find that that positions it just brings us a lot of efficiencies rather than having to rebuild a lot of the ROS tools on from scratch, so that we don't have a major ROS dependency. Mm. We can just kind of rely on that. But we do take a a single repo approach, which I took from uh, inspiration from working at uh, big Google companies like Google, where mm-hmm. we have one repository that has many different packages and functionalities in it. And we find that that just makes it quick to make major code changes to the whole code base in one pull request. Um, yeah, simple code changes, but major ones at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you'll find us on GitHub, like most ROS projects, and uh, we encourage you to, to try it. We've, we put a lot of work into our tutorials to date. And that's one thing that we're particularly proud of is um, the ease of use. Yeah, I went through, actually in preparation for this interview, I went through a few tutorials and I have to say they're really high quality compared to, this is, so like a lot of ROS tutorials are quite good, but then if you go off and try to do a lot of packages for it, typically there's very little documentation. And uh, Moveit was pleasantly well-documented which I found great. Yeah, I, I've put a lot of my personal time into that originally, and we, we've we come up with this clever sponsorship model. We're currently uh, Franca Imica, mm-hmm. uh, an ARM company manufacturer out of Germany. They sponsored um, the most recent tutorial refactoring where, um, of course, they get their ARM as the, the example one, which is mm-hmm. great marketing for them. Um, and in exchange, uh, we had one of our engineers work several months on just cleaning up the tutorials and making them higher quality. And, of course, there's always room for improvement, but that's one thing that I think is, is really important for an open source project to be successful. Uh, I've actually published papers on this, this, this concept of like, just because you open source, it doesn't mean that it's really that usable unless mm-hmm. it's well documented. Okay. And how do you do that? How do you make it so it's well documented? Uh, so good tutorial. Well, we have our, yeah. We, one requirement is like if you're making a major new feature, we really want to see you make uh, the second pull request for the tutorials before we merge in the feature. Um, and what ideally, is, what is a pull request? With these of course, uh, a pull request is just a request or when you submit a change for code or for documentation, and that, at which point one of our maintainers will review it and provide feedback to make sure that it's uh, of, of decent quality or preferably of really high quality. <laughs> Um, and so it's just a, a common paradigm of, of open source code contribution. And, and so that's one concept that I really try to uh, convey. And, and when I give talks at, at different events is that this is a project that anyone can contribute to. So if you're listening and you're interested in being involved with MoveIt, uh, beyond just using it, we'd love to see um, patches and fixes and, and pull requests being added. Mm-hmm. Okay, so continuing with how you make it good for open source. Um, so good tutorials, you make it so it's easy for people to make pull requests um, and that they have, is, is that pretty much it for you to spawn up an open source project? Yeah, um, one of the unique parts of MoveIt that I haven't seen in many other robotics open source projects is we have this concept of a setup assistant. and. I was the developer myself of the most recent version, but I can't, actually can't claim the idea. I believe it came for either Eagle Jones at Willow Garage or, or Sachin Cheetah, but um, the idea of a like a wizard, a quick setup, mm-hmm. a GUI that you actually launch when you're first using MoveIt, and it steps you through in multiple screens 
all the configurations to customize, move it to work for whatever robot you have. So, you know, like a lot of Ross, uh, move it is, is robot agnostic. So we don't care if you have six joints or seven joints or 20, you know, if, if you have legs, we can handle that. If you have an octopus, uh, robot, it might be. Yeah. <laughs> throw it at us. <laughs> and so this, this, uh, runs through the steps. It does some optimizations, does a bunch of like checking for, you know, how can we reduce collision checking? Mm-hmm. So to make things faster. And at the end it spits out uh, a fairly large and in my opinion, overly complex set of configuration files that, um, make, move it out of the box very easy for a beginner. And of course, you don't have to do any of this if you use one of the pre-established robot arms. For example, the Franca Emica mm-hmm. um, will will avoid all that. But if you're wanting to customize it or make your own arm, it's, it's great for that. Okay. Then how do you... Um, so you, you get it up and running pretty easily. You have the setup wizard um, if you want to add a new arm. Um, what kind of things? So it does forward kinematics, inverse kinematics. You optimize and get a trajectory. You mentioned that there's some grasping. Um, it, it also does additional things. Mm-hmm. When when do you look to move it, and when do you look to other ROS packages? Yeah, that's a great question. And the original architect of the Move It project, who is, has been my mentor and he's one of our advisors, um, he, he's actually said to me, Yon Sukin, that maybe the, the Move It tries to do too much, and so that is maybe one one pitfall is drawing a line of what Move It does and doesn't do. We really try to um, say that uh, perception is not part of Move It, mm-hmm. although we do have perception have plugins. Yeah. So, okay. uh, if you have a point cloud, we can take that in and generate Octa maps and make sure the robot doesn't collide with someone so if you like jump in front of the robot it's actually able to pause and replan around that thing um though it's not safety guaranteed of any sort so (laughs) word of caution before using that uh and and so yeah we've recently been adding grasping libraries picnic in particular we've been developing uh move it grasps which is a geometric approach to grasping that a number of our clients have really enjoyed um we collaborate with intel and they recently came out with a machine learning neural network approach Mm -hmm. to grasping that's available. Um, but in, in general, just motion planning is our, our main core skill. And, and we integrate tightly with another ROS project called ROS Control, which deals with more of the low-level um, control theory approach. And so we have a tight coupling in the way we communicate to ROS Control. Mm-hmm. But we've, to date, mostly stayed out of that. That's actually an area of improvement is that really to improve our capabilities, we need closer uh, closed loop control, tighter integration. We have those components, but at the moment, it's not as closed loop. Hmm. So one thing that's really interesting with Ross is it's this big ecosystem. Um, and then you kind of have move it on the side, which seems like this other ecosystem that kind of coexists. Maybe it's a subset or it seems like a lot is being put in and maybe it makes it so that you have better integration between all of the components you talked a little bit about this line. Where, where do you draw the line for what components to add, like getting out into sensors? Um, in the talk that I saw with you in 2018 or so, it was um, manipulation or grasping actually was not one of the larger components. Now it seems like it is. How, how do you pick where to add next and thoughts on this? Yeah, we we'd somewhat have our own ecosystem, but as I mentioned 
we are still very tightly integrated with Ross. Other projects have chosen to just remove Ross entirely and, and just have a thin layer, and, and we, we haven't. So um, the, the areas where it seems like we aren't using Ross, it's really for performance, and that's um, a common criticism of Ross 1, mm-hmm. which is why you know all the buzz is about Ross 2 right now. And I think with Ross 2, we're currently in the process of migrating, and we have an alpha out. Um, but we are looking for more, more funding for that effort, if anyone's <laughs> listening. Um, but in, in, yeah, in ARM navigation, which was the predecessor to move it, everything was very distributed and was part of the ROS ecosystem. Mm-hmm. But the time to communicate between TCIP and, and ROS messages for collision checking and for motion planning and inverse kinematics, it was extremely slow because, you know, hundreds of milliseconds. Uh, and, and we're just, when we do a motion plan, it's, thousands and hundreds of thousands of calculations back and forth between these components and so we really needed to have a shared memory type approach which is why the plugins were um, developed and the plugins we use are using ross plugins you know plugin lib is a library in the ross ecosystem Mm -hmm. but uh so mostly we've been driven by just requests and and actually applications we've built we work with you know we've worked with over 30 clients to date who have really driven the development of it in my opinion that's the best way to develop a project is based on customer needs and requests. And of course, uh, a lot of the open source contributions are based on needs and requests of, of grad students and research labs. Mm-hmm. And that's also a, a great way to drive development. Yeah. And so we see a lot of requests for improved pick and place applications, for example. And, and, and so that's why we've really improved the manipulation capabilities. Okay. What are some of your, so you've mentioned you have lots of collaborations with different people. Um, or different groups, what are some of the projects that you find MoveIt being used on? It's always surprising um, how diverse the projects, but, you know, human arms are used to doing basically every job in the world, and and our goal is to (laughs) be able to replace that with robot Mm -hmm. arms uh, eventually. And so just getting that level of dexterity and capabilities um, and... I'm afraid on on a podcast to off the cuff mention our clients because I'm not can't remember what's allowed and what's not allowed under our NDAs. Um, but it's way more. We've been of course warehouse logistics, uh, but beyond that, all sorts of other industries uh, from food preparation to like personal mm-hmm. care, um, a little bit on the, the home robotics side, all sorts of cutting edge robotics technologies that are, are really excited for us to be involved in. And I know it keeps our team very motivated because we're almost like a lab working on yeah. different um, new technologies coming out and people wanting to prototype those technologies with MoveIt. Um, and we're always working to harden MoveIt to make it so that um, it is robust enough for um, deployment mm-hmm. as well. Is the So as I mentioned, the um, grasping thing or the grasping side of MoveIt, at least in 2018 in the talk that I saw, it didn't seem like grasping was one of the large parts of MoveIt. It seems like it's becoming more of that. Is that because of the interest in the pick-and-place tasks and you need some sort of grasping framework that works well with the simulator and contact forces? Exactly. Yeah. Um, we've, we've had a library that I, I started when I was a graduate student and we've been growing it. And now some other developers here, some other roboticists have really uh, taken the lead on it and we are excited to continue to be developing it. We'll be giving a talk on it at Roscon. Uh, which is at the end of October coming mm-hmm. up. So 
I think that's an important next step for the capabilities of move it so that we, we really just want to like you you give us an arm and like move it's able to output a very complex uh or not by complex i mean very capable system of manipulation and, and so grasping is mm-hmm. a vital part of that um, perception as i said we've been shying away from so we typically will work with companies who specialize in perception because it, it's a very different field we're uh, a team of PhDs good at control motion mm-hmm. planning and, and, and not perception. Gotcha. So say you want to pick up a piece, uh, a cup of coffee and move it over and it has a specific orientation that you need to keep. So you're not spilling everything. Um, is there an, I assume that you give users low level access to the optimization that occurs on some level, but how, how difficult is it to change the optimizations? Or the the what's being optimized in the motion planner. We expose at the high level APIs a concept of constraints, and I think right now we support four different types of constraints, but that can be expanded. One of those constraints is orientation constraints. So we could say that we don't want to tilt the glass of water or the cup too far in either direction because you'll be spilling mm-hmm. it. And um, our planners can can handle that it does take longer to compute and so it's always a trade-off of, of how strict of tolerances you want and the difficulty of a robot to understand how to, to make a solution and optimize for that um, but one great thing about move it it's, it's very well laid out in object-oriented design it's uh, mostly in c++ with some python wrappers so you can either work at a very high level and use the the base capabilities, or if you need to customize it, really dive into the lower levels and use the base components and mix and match. And so we typically do that for the custom applications we develop for clients is mixing and matching low levels. So we can really get some some fancy constraints in there and come up with some novel hmm. new approaches. What are the other three types of constraints that you can apply on your trajectory? So orientation being one of them. Uh, joint constraints are the base one, and that's just um, saying that your start and goal state of where you want the joints to be and saying that maybe there's a range of joint values that are acceptable, so it's close mm-hmm. enough. Uh, there's orientation constraints, like we just mentioned. There's visibility constraints, which is the idea that if you have cameras as a head on your robot or anywhere, really, and you're looking at the object you're manipulating, you don't want to lose visual mm-hmm. contact with that object. And so you can actually tell the arms not to block them, not to obscure your view, which is something that, you know, humans, we just do naturally, but you have to tell Hmm. a robot to do that. And the last one I'm actually blanking on right now, (laughs) it's, I guess, used less frequently. (laughs) No worries. Um, But I'm pretty sure there's a fourth. Gotcha. Uh, And then, so one thing you mentioned earlier was global and local motion plans. Would you tell me a little bit about this? Yeah, traditionally, uh, MoveIt's been really strong in the global planning uh, arena. And would you tell me what that is? Yeah, I, I mean, it can be used in different meanings, but in this context, it's the idea of being able to plan around obstacles. So one of the uh, telltale examples is you have your arms under a table and then you want to bring them over the table. And you can't just pull your arms straight up because obviously you'll hit an obstacle. Instead, you need to generate a plan where you retract your arm toward yourself away from the table mm-hmm. then pull up then go back over 
And so it's the ability to come up with a global plan that doesn't get stuck in local minimum. And local minimum being something from basic computer science of optimizations typically will will get stuck in a solution that seemed like the best, uh, but then it can't see that there's actually better solutions. Yeah. So go up towards the table, table blocks you, and then you can't complete the goal because it's on the other side of that table. Um, but instead, you have to retreat from the goal to go around the table. And so that's you avoiding that local minima. Yeah. And traditionally, uh, like robotic automation, like factory automation manufacturers, they'd solve this by, ha by just having a human program an intermediate waypoint, maybe two or three waypoints, mm -hmm. and say, okay, to solve this problem, like, I need you to first pass through all these waypoints. Our software is a lot smarter than that and actually can generate those waypoints automatically and fairly fast, um, definitely less than a second in planning time. Um, there are some corner cases where when you have, it's called the narrow, narrow passageway problem, mm -hmm. if you're reaching into a very tight space, it could take longer for the robot to come up with a solution for that. Mm. And, and these are just the kind of problems that I find extremely exciting. And <laughs> I hope I'm not uh, losing our listeners here, but uh, local planning and the contrast is a lot easier in some regards, and it's a lot more intuitive. It's just uh, if you have the, the goal, the object you want to move towards, you just start moving your joints so that every time they move, you want to make sure they're reducing the distance between you and that object, mm -hmm. re reducing the error. And so you can use Jacobian-based approaches. This is a, yeah. just a, a mathematical equation that equates like motion to distance from goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I move all of these joints a little bit, what happens? And then how does that get me closer to my goal? And then I move in the direction a bit closer. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so they have a lot of advantages. You can run those at many kilohertz of speed in terms of like super fast, but no ability to avoid obstacles. And can you can you do a lot of, you can do closed form solutions with some of those as long as it's like a low degree of freedom arm, probably. Yeah, even six degree of freedom, you can get closed form, depending on the- What is the Frankov arm? Is that seven, Toph? I'm pretty sure it's six. <laughs> I might oh. have that wrong as well. <laughs> um, but, okay, maybe seven, including the gripper. Like yeah. This kind of thing. Yeah, and so- one of our, the big architecture design goals of MoveIt right now is combining the best of both worlds and having this hybrid global local planner. And so with MoveIt 2.0, which we're currently under development for, uh, I'm really excited about utilizing the, the real-time capabilities of ROS 2.0 mm -hmm. and achieving tighter closed-loop control where we get sensor data and we respond to it uh, maybe 300 times a second, so 300 hertz. Gotcha. Still super fast. Yeah. Super fast. Uh, I mean, we can go much faster depending on your hardware, but that's just a rough goal. But then for the global plans that we want, um, that would run at much fewer hertz per second uh, or cycles per second. Uh, our goal is 30 hertz. Um, and we think by having both levels of control, we can get, really get a smarter, more capable robot. So does it just thinking into this a little bit, um, the global one, do you use something like, I forget the, it's like RRT or rapid random exploring trees or something like this. It basically takes a branching path through state space, which is way more efficient than evaluating every single, I don't know, piece of state space you go through. Um, and then from there, you find a solution quicker, you follow that, but then you're doing some sort of local smoothing on that, which is using something that's faster 
um, like maybe an A-star algorithm or something like this, which just takes a heuristic and moves towards the thing. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, the the planner we use by default when you just out of the box use move it is RT Connect, which is a, oh, sweet. a, a, a dual-threaded version of that. It, really, you can do it in one thread, but it's a, a bi-directional version. And it really is the most general purpose works for every type of application Mm -hmm. it's got plenty of flaws though and so in this field of research there's been hundreds of variants of rrt uh yeah i know (laughs) and i was i'm guilty of being one of those grad students who came up with variants myself Uh, nice (laughs) but um one of the big criticisms of this approach of these global planners though is is because they, they use basically a, a die roll. Like it's, it's just random probability of exploring yeah. the space. And you need that because the complexity of these problems are, are huge. If you think about, so like a, a mobile robot, these are all the rage right now, driving through a warehouse. Uh, at its base, the very easiest version of that problem is you have X and Y and then like your rotation. So it's a, a three-dimensional space, of like where mm-hmm. you're moving. But when you have a, a dual arm robot, which we, we frequently will work on, and they both have, let's say, seven degrees of freedom, now you have 14 degrees of freedom. So think about a, a three-dot system of a, a mobile base and then keep adding dimensions. Mm-hmm. The dimensionality of this is very complex. It's hard to visualize because we don't think in 14, 14D worlds. We think in 3D worlds. Um, and it's also very slow for a computer to solve. So we have lots of tricks for that. And, and one of these is this RRT approach you spoke of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've been really working on better ways of improving the determinism because determinism being um, the reliability of, of the result that you get, sometimes you'll be surprised by the, the robot's behavior. And so we're working hard to make it so that a human working next to the robot um, can really expect oh, that's cool. not be surprised by what the robot behavior does. And, and it's also... How do you do that, though? Like, what are some heuristics for doing that? I would imagine, like, adding an energy constraint or something like this. We're always trying to reduce joint motion. So that's a cost function of like not going through excess joints. And that's similar to energy constraint. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, even still, it's just a lot of it falls into post-processing, like you mentioned. And so we already have um, some pretty powerful post-processors that will shortcut the, the, the trajectory until you get a an arm motion that is smoother. But mm-hmm. we're trying to make it more powerful by adding other optimization-based planners on top of it as like a, a post-processor step. And so we've been adding Trageopt this summer. Uh, we have Stomp mm. and Chomp integrations. And these these get stuck in local minimum that I was talking about earlier. But uh, if you combine this global planner with more of a local planner, you get some uh, really powerful nice. solutions. So we do a lot of post-processing. And then the other meaning of local planner, which I'm kind of conflating right now, is that once you have a trajectory, you want to have real-time visual data updating your trajectory with whatever's changed. So if there's been any camera noise or things have gotten kind of shaken out of place, being able to update those dynamically. So really combining all these things together in one package, uh, that's that's the goal of MoveIt. And I think we've you know already have a very powerful approach to this that uh, a lot of people are benefiting from. Mm-hmm. Would you tell me a bit about ROS2? And move it too, maybe? I don't I don't know. Whatever you'll be doing with ROS2 and move it. Yeah, we, we collaborate closely with Open Robotics um, on their great work on ROS2, and, and really they're, they're leading it. But we've done some work on ROS2 as well. 
um, helping port some of the core packages of ROS, and we've started porting um, MoveIt, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, unfortunately, one of our partnerships was, was with Accutronic Robotics, and, and they did um, a good job of helping with that port, but they have recently closed. So uh, we've restarted the effort under some other grant work, uh, but it's still going to be a long way to go to get the full version. Um, so looking for funding there again. But the, the first phase, we have several milestones. The first phase is simply port move it one to move it two. And it's just a, a quick way to get the community jumped over. And, and we've found in past mm-hmm. versions of ROS, ROS Kinetic, ROS Melodic, that a lot of the ROS community doesn't decide to jump to the next version of ROS until they see the major applications ported and move it to one of those major applications. So uh, we did a survey that we've posted online on, on um, one of the forums of ROS, if you're curious, on uh, kind of a user study of, of what's keeping um, people from jumping to ROS 2.0. It's like a, a report, not really a survey. It's, it's both. And mm-hmm. yeah, we... Re- I really believe that getting when was this, by the way, what's that? When when was this report? This was last January, and we put it on Discourse, which is Ross's forum. And yeah, one of the big takeaways is that the greater community is waiting to see the majority of packages ported, and yeah, that's an unfortunate thing because we we need open source projects, so we need all the hands we can get. So we're we're looking for the greater community to help with the ports, but. That aside, um, I really believe that having move it to release is going to be a, a big factor in that, and so we've got and, and a lot of people agree with that that statement. So that's one of our big priorities here at Picnic is is getting move it two point out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you mentioned a bit about the future of move it. So you're going to move to move it two which will be a ROS two port of move it, and then you can keep expanding from there. Um, and then you mentioned the this local global planner. Um, what else is in the future of MoveIt? Yeah. Okay. So that was milestone one for MoveIt two is to do the ROS two point base port. The second part of that is really uh, second milestone is the real time support. So le- leveraging all of the great real time pro- properties of ROS two which uses DDS as its underlying. What does DDS stand for? DDS is just an industry standard on it's like a communication protocol that's been used by the military and by uh, large infrastructure. Nice. What's that? It's, it's just awesome. It's such a great thing that ROS2 is built on. Yeah, a lot of our clients are already using DDS uh, outside of ROS. And so when they hear that it's, it's using DDS under the hood, they get really excited. Um, and so that's the second milestone is just this closed loop control. And then third milestone is just a lot of... Um, refactoring and cleanup of MoveIt and using uh, pretty awesome new features in ROS2, like the uh, difference between a process and a node. Uh, I, I don't want to get too much in the detail of, of that one. And then in future milestones, which aren't currently slated, but something that's really uh, the next step is just improving the determinism, like I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. uh, so that out of the, the out-of-the-box experience is really smooth for users who want to see smooth, reliable paths? Right now, we can do that, but it's, it takes some tuning, and that's you know what our uh, our team at Picnic can do. But really, getting that in a general agnostic way to the so basically optimizing parameters for the trajectory, like a meta planner or meta optimizer for the optimizer kind of thing. 
it just again it's it's the, the downside of um rt type planners and this is a field called probabilistic sampling based motion planning and, and the probabilistic thing just means that there's it's not deterministic it, there's some uh randomness to it and so while we need that because computers aren't fast enough yet uh finding these hybrid approaches and so that's uh, a big future milestone for move it mm -hmm. okay and then just going a little bit into um what it's like to lead move it a large open source project first can you tell me a bit about maybe some numbers how many contributors these kinds of things so we we've done a lot of work that i'd love to share with the greater robotics open source community on how move it is actually governed and structured mm -hmm. that i'm i'm very proud of um so we have a maintainer team that there's two tiers basically there's like the ones with admin access and there's about 10 of us hailing from all sorts of different companies and countries um, again shout out to the guys in germany robert and uh, michael corner um, and beyond that we have a second tier of what we call core contributors which are people who frequently attend our monthly meetings and are you know very helpful in the reviewing of pull requests we just really want to acknowledge their their contributions in the past they've made some major feature improvements they've helped with reviewing and beyond that we've had i'm looking at the stats right now for move it we have uh 176 contributors to date and this is a project that's been going on for uh six eight years mm -hmm. uh 405 forks you know almost 500 stars on github forks are just uh when people want to make contributions they'll like make a copy that where they can make their own branches mm -hmm. And so it's a very vibrant community, and we work very hard to address pull requests quickly. And there's been research, I think, out of um, GitHub, the company, just on the importance of responding to pull requests within a week, you know, within a few days. Mm -hmm. And if you want to encourage others to contribute code and keep doing it, you need to be responsive on that. And it's a challenge that we still haven't fully lived up to. Um, at Picnic, we have internal goals that um, all of our ROS developers um, do a certain number of pull request reviews a month, just just as open source contribution, you know, just something as goodwill. Um, but we still struggle with the turnaround time. And so I'm always trying to think of new ways to get more people reviewing code, but while keeping quality up. And that's that's the, the difficulty of, of open source projects is one of the many, one of the many difficulties is making sure that the contributions are also of high enough quality that's, you know, reliable and safe and, mm -hmm. um, that's just something that I, I believe Picnic's doing a good job of leading Move It In. And uh, I also thank our outside contributors who are helping review. So did I answer your question yes, on definitely. the open source? And then you mentioned it at the beginning, but how can people get involved if they're interested? Yeah, um, a number of ways. So our monthly meetings are now open. The first few years, we were kind of like having just the, uh, the, the most involved people, but we're now encouraging anyone to join us. Um, we do talk about fairly technical, detailed issues of the movie project, so be warned of that. Um, we have a discourse forum slash mailing list, so if you subscribe to that, it's basically where you'll get um, announcements and emails about the big uh, changes and releases and events coming up. So if you go to the moveit.ross.org, that's our main website, um, and it has tons of information about how to install and use uh, MoveIt, links to the tutorials. Um, and the big blue button at the top says get involved. That'll join. That'll get you um, on that forum. Beyond that, we do host events. Um, I'm really proud of World Move It Day is an event. We're in our, our fourth year of that. 
Uh, last year, I think we had 10 locations. Um, we had collectively 200 or so people who actually joined physical locations around the world. So different continents, different countries, um, a big hackathon really. And so it's a great chance for you to run through the tutorials if you're brand new and like have your uh, answers question, uh, questions answered by people in the same room as you and just a day full of um, um, hacking and socializing. But for people who are more experienced, that's the day that we really focus on uh, responding to issues and pull requests. We're having our first um, workshop coming up. It's a day-long event. It'll be the day after RossCon. So it's um, November 2nd or something. Um, and that will be in Macau, China, which is a pretty exciting place to have it. Um, but if you can't meet us there, you can still join World Move It Day, which is the following month. You can call in from anywhere in the world if there's no location near you. Um, and occasionally we have... Um, online community meetings and overall just get involved on the on github uh, it's a great place it's like you know the, the social network for programmers and you can help with issues or, or pull requests awesome thank you fascinating but i'm afraid we have come to the end of this episode there's plenty more to discover on robohub.org forward slash podcast though and if that isn't enough, RoboHub also features articles, news, and videos. And if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for the podcast team, let us know by emailing our president, Audro, at audro.nash at robohub.org. We'll be back with a brand new episode in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Motion with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.